Wistful Thinking is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things movie and nostalgia podcasts, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome to Wistful Thinking, the podcast where we revisit pop culture from our youth to see if it's as good all grown up. I'm Jordan Poland-Clark. With me is my co-host, Carrie Gail O'Regan. Hello. Hi. We've had this conversation once already. This was our longest our longest start to a podcast in a long time. There was lots of drama, noises, buzzing. Robots. Things, robots. Things coming out of speakers that weren't supposed to be. Uh, yeah, but here we go. Um, talk about how that's not actually really what we do on this podcast anymore, but what else? I don't know. Who's going to write a new intro? Not me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, welcome. Welcome back to Surreal February. Surrealist? Surreal? What's correct? Mm, I'm not sure, but it sure has been a surreal February. I mean, isn't that, doesn't life just get more and more surreal in real life anyway every that's, day every that's what day. i was thinking when we named february that i was like "Ooh, that's gonna be wildly accurate as we go forth into life <laughs> this is gonna, we're gonna struggle today aren't we i can tell already <laughs> oh boy <laughs> okay. oh boy oh boy indeed welcome everybody um Kara, you still reclined She's told me she was reclined. Fully. Fully supine. I'm about 50% reclined, which I think is part of the reason why (laughs) this energy level is what it is. But I get more blood to my brain when I lay down. And you know, it's appropriate that we're laying down because the movie that we're talking about today starts with a woman laying down, uh, which made me burst into tears. The first thing she says is, careful, guys. This corpse is still breathing. I had to turn the movie off. I feel like I missed the I beginning so of hard this I had movie. to turn the movie off. Because I just really uh, identify with that. Careful, guys. This corpse is still breathing. You know, just being carried out on a bed. What a way to get transported around. Yeah, for real. Um, okay, so we watched the movie Frida. Mm-hmm. 2002. Directed by Julie Taymor. Um, starring Selma Hayek. And a bunch of other people. Yes, correct. <laughs> um, ghost written by um, Edward Norton, who's also in the movie. Well, Ed Norton worked on a rewrite. I know. Yeah, he didn't He didn't write, write it. Um, okay, so. It's a biopic. It's about the life of Frida Kahlo, a Mexican artist who... Uh, is technically not a surrealist, not officially. But not officially, part of the... except all of her work really is. Well, yes. Well, so Andre Breton, who we talked about in our last episode when we talked about Luis Buñuel, actually came to Mexico and stayed with Frida, and was like, "Hey, look, they got surrealists in Mexico too." Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but she wasn't like officially part of the club also it's because possible. she wasn't an insufferable european man yeah well uh, where is the lie uh she did however at some point like about a year before Breton came to 
Mexico had spent some time in Paris, which we actually see in this movie, um, part of it anyway, um, and that she had seen some of the surrealist work while in France, um, which then did influence her own work. However, she was already doing her own thing and proceeded to continue to do her own thing in her own way. But she's a huge influence on me as an artist. And uh, it was really interesting to watch this movie again for the first time in like 15 years. I It was my first time watching it at all. Oh, what did you think? I, I, th- I think I love her, <laughs> obviously. But She's pretty great. I don't know if I love the movie. Hmm. I think I love parts of the movie. Yeah. But I do, I wish I, for her, because she seems, she clearly is so spectacular. I wish that it were a better movie. And I'm sure Same. it's not anyone's, I'm sure it's not Julie Taymor or Selma Hayek's fault that it's not a better movie. Uh can guarantee that that is the case. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. this is a, uh now storied Harvey Weinstein situation that Selma Hayek actually wrote an op-ed for the New York Times entitled Harvey Weinstein Was My Monster 2 that came out a couple years ago after the revelations uh, started coming to light and uh, oh boy what a nightmare a true true real monster nightmare man just trying to ruin things at all points and it's like truly incredible that a this movie got made at all b it is as good as it is um and c that it still um does such a good job of telling the story of frida's life and representing various parts of her although i you know there are certainly parts that i wish were better and things that are in this that i wish weren't and things that are not in this that I wish were. Um, but all things considered, still pretty good. Yeah, I found myself wishing that it, instead of being like a studio movie, they could have just like kickstarted it and like did whatever they wanted. Yeah. Because I love the like multimedia, mixed media. But it's, vi- I do too. Sequences of it. But it's not, I, f- I wish there was more. I wish that there was more. I wish that it was like applied more um, uniformly because I feel like too many, like sometimes it's like too short between the pieces and then too long between others. And yeah, but what's cool about those is that Frida worked in a variety of media across her life. And um, when she was younger, she made puppets and stuff like that. So like that first Um, kind of animated puppet sequence is done kind of with puppets in the style of what she used to make and then there is a sequence when she's in New York that's kind of collage-y and she kind of based on her collage work and then other uh, pieces that are based on her paintings and I love that that they are able to show kind of the the breadth of media that she worked in over the course of her life. Yeah I as as my opinion is about a lot of movies, is I wish they would have like gone deeper into their weirdness. Is all like, yeah. did you ever see Science of Sleep? I have. I don't no, love wait. it. I want to like it more. 
I but but it's but what the dream parts are yes. really surreal and weird. They're the best. Yeah. And like when they're similar to that uh the the Oh my gosh, what's the movie called? We've done it on the podcast. It's the same director. It's a Michelle Gondry movie. Oh, um, do we do Eternal, Eternal Sunshine? Sunshine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like it's like that. There's like one extremely surreal dream sequence in Eternal Sunshine. There's a few that are like very weird, but I feel like there's one. Oh gosh, my brain's broken. It's fine. Um, yeah, it's like I want this whole movie to be like that. Not only where like where it's appropriate, I just think they could have used it more to show her artwork more than they did. I agree. Like afterwards, I started because I I here's like I feel like I feel like the thing that I have the best sense of was her relationship with um, Diego, Diego Rivera, which is such a bummer because it's I like know the least exactly thing about her life, and like clearly it didn't form a lot of her life, and yeah. like they were together for you know most of her life. Mm-hmm. Um, she was pretty young when she died. Um, and so, like, I get that that's an important part of her life. And, like, sure, leave that in. But I feel like it just took precedence over everything else, which was, yeah, yeah it was boring. I agree. Um, and like I said, it's, like, when you do start to learn about her and learn about her life, it really is the least interesting thing about her. Um, although, like, in her lifetime, she was just considered Diego Rivera's wife like she did start to gain some acclaim of her own as an artist but we actually see it happen in the movie when they're in New York and he's working on that mural for the Rockefellers and she's um like down on the floor and she's just like working on a little painting of her own um one of my favorite paintings of hers actually it's like a little child with a sugar skull mask um, or a real skull. Who's the to death, say? The death mask one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, where was I going with this? Oh, that like a reporter who's there to interview Diego turns around and takes a picture of her. Um, and, and this was actually, I think it was in the New York Times. Hang on. Um, <laughs> uh, just so you know, the last thing that I Googled when I opened up my phone was diarrhea bohemian rhapsody because i was Why? curious if anyone had ever sang diarrhea diarrhea they have i feel like that's like a joke that kids do all the time isn't it what did google it must tell you be. well there were some videos i didn't actually watch any <laughs> i was just wondering if it was an original thought or not what was i looking up all oh, right diego rivera's wife um but also when Boonwell uh premiered I think Los Olivados is one of his movies that he made in Mexico. After the premiere, um, and I read this last week when when I was researching that episode, that she she was at the premiere and, and refused to speak to him. But what I had read just said Diego Rivera's wife refused to speak to him. Like she's not even cited by name. Um, yeah. Well, here's my question. Do you want me to wait while you look this up? Hang on. I'm almost there. Frida Kahlo, artist, Diego Rivera's wife, the New York Times. Um, Okay, so it had... Wait, is that what it says? I don't know. No, I don't know if that's the one I was looking for. 
Oh, interesting. So this actually happened when they were in Detroit, although in the movie it shows as having taken place in New York. Um, but yeah, the story that ran in the paint in the paper is her painting a self-portrait, and the uh, title of the article is Wife of the Master Mural Painter Gleefully Dabbles in Works of Art. <sighs> Gleefully Dabbles. Gleefully Dabbles. Oh, I know when I paint, that's definitely what I'm doing. I'm gleefully dabbling and not trying to rip out my soul and put it on a canvas, but that's fine. Um, here's my question about this. Yes. It seemed in, in the movie, it seemed like over and over again, she blew off her own talent. Mm hmm. And did not have the drive or the desire or whatever. They didn't explain this. Like, I don't know. But this is how it read. It's like she didn't have... She wasn't... She didn't care that nobody knew who she was. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you know, I don't... I think that's kind of true. Um, You know, like, it, it's clear that she wanted to have a gallery show in her own country. Her Mexican identity was very important to her. Right. Um, this is at a period of time shortly after the Mexican Revolution. She actually like lied and changed the year that she was born in so that it could coincide with the like the birth date of Mexico as a nation. Um, what what was I talking what was your question? What am I answering? Oh, that I'm so <laughs> it's, sorry. It's like well over and over again in the movie, Diego Rivera would also be like she's better than me he would tell yeah, people yeah. and she would blow it off like yeah. she wasn't looking okay. for that kind of attention in the movie so is that yeah, real i think that's actually true she did want to have an exhibition in her own country and so we see that she eventually did get to do that shortly before she died other than that i don't think that she was particularly interested in being you know a famous artist and why would she be like, you know, like her, she was in like towards the beginning of the film, we see that she's interested in being an artist to support herself. Um, but I don't know if I, you know, I don't know. Like I have her die. I have a diary of hers from late in oh. her life, her last diary. Um, which I mostly just look at the pictures of and don't know a ton of Spanish. So I don't, but it, it there's an English translation towards the back that I meant to read all of that I just didn't get a chance to. Um, you know, I think her health, like, really significantly impacted her relationship to, to art. Not, I think, that's true. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I phrased it that way, but, um, I'm not sure, you know, she created not to get famous. She created because it was something that she had to do, which is a lot of artists feel this way. It's like, I'm not doing this because I want to, I'm doing this because like my soul gives me no choice, you know? And so I think when her health really took up so much of her time and energy. Like she painted to pass the time she painted to express what was 
going on with her and she wasn't necessarily painting it for other people to look at. Does that make sense? It does. Um, but I'm curious about, like, to me, that seems to be the opposite of um, this other part of her personality mm-hmm. where she's, like, extremely political. Right. Um, and, but her and also, art like, isn't. I mean, there are political aspects to her art, and she wove her political identity in with her art, but I wouldn't necessarily... mm. But isn't any art by a woman who's trying to have a voice political? Particularly when she's making art about her body. Yes, absolutely. That that was why I just paused, because yes, you're right. Um, and so, like, that's what, like, that's what I'm curious about is, like, is that real or is that just the movie where she has this, like, huge drive for kind of, like, noise and progress in mm-hmm. one area, but then not in another area? I don't know. It's, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I can't answer that question, really. I know. We're, Frida, come to us. Tell us. Um... I can answer the question speaking as myself, like as an artist who is, whose life is largely shaped by their illness, um, that like, and who is also, who has like a lot of strong political feelings. Like, I guess the art that I make that isn't just the nice landscapes that I've been doing to just kind of get a break of it all from it all. Um, like the, the art that I make about my body and my experience of it is inherently political because it is, our bodies are politicized as women, as sick people, as disabled people. Um, but I also have no interest in making it for other people to look at, which is why it's, commercially unviable and no one wants to buy it (laughs) i've bought your art that's not true that's true you did um but you also i mean i i'm not disagreeing that you can (laughs) use practically well yeah well that that was just for fun i would have i would pay for your if well i don't have any money but (laughs) (laughs) if i had money um no, you know how much I love, a, like, I haven't seen all of your artwork, because you don't share it all that much. Yeah. I feel like you used to more. I used to more because I was, like, trying to be a professional artist, and then I figured out that I hated doing that. <laughs> Is I that mean, just I, because you hate that part of it? I, I definitely hate selling things to people, but I, I don't want to feel like I have to make art that people will want to buy if that makes sense and you can't just make people want to buy your like art is such a subjective thing and like commercially very very difficult to pursue um and I because I don't make art that's popular right now like it's you know just it, it just didn't make sense for me and I didn't like the and I also I don't like showing in galleries I don't like the Mm. I hate being the center of attention you know kind of like everything involved in it because so much of being a professional artist has absolutely nothing to do with the actual art making of it and I would say because you become your own business you have yeah it's like 10% art and 90% 
schmoozing and spending time with people that I don't want to be around and, you know, being a business, which is fine. I can run a business, but running my art as a business takes it, takes its power away and takes it away. Take like the way that I have to make art because it's what my soul needs to do does not gets like really kind of polluted by capitalism and makes it start feeling bad. Yeah. It makes me not want to do it. Well, and I, yeah, totally. That all definitely makes sense. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm the correct audience for your art. Right. You're a very specific audience. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel, I, I feel like I've seen this quote going around the internet and I'm not going to get it right. I don't know what the exact quote is, but it's like, it, yeah, it's something about how, like, we definitely live in this system where we're forced or taught to think about how we will commodify our hobbies. Right. And if, you know, or commodify our art or our whatever we're doing creatively. And it's like, you're meant to think that you're you're doing something wrong if that's not how you're thinking about it. Yeah. Or that you're not an artist if you're if that's not your primary source of income, right. which is truly ridiculous. Like I feel so much better creatively. Mm, I was gonna say I feel so much better creatively when I'm not doing anything creative for money, but that's not true either. Um, but I feel a lot more fulfilled when I'm doing like paid work that is creative but is not necessarily coming from the same place that creating art comes from. Right. They're different things, you yeah. know? Um, so I don't know if, if that's how Frida felt or if, you know, being married to somebody like Diego Rivera, who was so good at being a big, loud, professional, capital A, art political artist, you know, like, if, if it's just like, nah, that's his thing. You know, I'm just going to, like, do what I want to do. Who knows? We'll never know. Nope. Well, now What's I'm there? just looking at your art. <laughs> that's where that's where I went. That's why I disappeared. Where is Where are you looking at it? At, you're on your Instagram, on your Bimps art. I just, I Googled oh. Bimps, and I was like, I know it'll show up somewhere. Yeah, well, my website is down because I'm poor. So that's where, like, the most of it was. The stuff that's on Bimps.art on Instagram is um, is largely uh, not capital A art, at least not anymore. It's just, I make images just kind of, like, compulsively. And so, or not compulsively, but just, like, as a general constant practice, whether it be through photography or drawing or painting or whatever. But, like, um, a few years ago, the, I, I would say the most relevant art that you'll find on there, if you go to the hashtag uh, Bimps Gets Weird, Ooh, okay. that was a project uh, that was a self-portrait project um that I started um 
It was during a, a time when my chronic migraines were especially super really bad and especially super really chronic, as in like constantly, all the time. Um, and I had been using all of these like symptom trackers to try and make sense of my experience and to like document my experience because so much of my illness has been what we call invisible illness um, and had been very difficult to diagnose for a long time. I'm kind of obsessed with having proof of things <laughs> um, because the whole experience has completely broken my brain. Um, but with that project, I had been doing all of this like quantitative tracking that to me didn't really capture the qualitative effect that being in such constant pain has on your life. You know, it's like, here are all these numbers, here's all of this data, but like, what does it actually mean to be in constant pain? And what does it feel like? And what does it look like? And so I started taking um, these selfies or self-portraits um, and running them through, because also I wasn't feeling up to using physical media, painting or drawing or anything like that. So I was doing it all, mostly laying down in the dark with one eye closed on my phone, holding it like two inches from my face because I didn't have my glasses on and like running them through um, different image manipulation, manipulation stuff um, to kind of like create a portrait of what the migraine felt like at that time. Um, and some of them, I would make a few a day sometimes. I would make one a day. Um, and so it was just a really interesting project to to do and to try and capture my experience and display my experience in a different way um, than just rating my pain on a scale of 1 to 10 or, or anything like that. Does that make sense? It really does. And I was scrolling through them as you were telling that story, which anyone listening to this, I recommend that's how you listen to her tell that story. Aww. Um, Yeah, they're really powerful, like especially all together. Yeah. Like how I'm looking at them because all I did was just search the hashtag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good work. Really. Thank you. And heavily influenced by Frida Kahlo, who so often painted self-portraits there's a famous quote from her i'm not gonna look it up because i'm tired but something like i paint myself so often because i am so often with myself and by myself you know it's it's some i think something that people don't really understand about like chronic illness and disability is that is how fucking boring it is <laughs> And how much goddamn time you just spend laying around by yourself, you know, and that's the reason that she started painting. That's the reason that she took up painting was that she was in this body cast and her parents gave her these paints and it's like she can't move. She's stuck there on her back. And so she took up this new medium, you know, she had previously been working with puppets and other stuff. And um, it, it like her paintings, which are so powerful, came directly from this time in her life where she was confined to her bed and it's like you know very painful but I'm sure also like incredibly mind-numbingly boring time yeah I I really like the part where she started to draw butterflies on her giant body cast yeah um 
I have I've heard like a few of my friends talk about this now and I've seen the the article that you wanted me to read before we recorded this too. Mm-hmm. Like Which this was thing. about Frida Kahlo's identity as both as as an artist and also as a disabled person and also as a queer person. And like, yeah, like how, can we claim that would she claim that now? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Um, just this thing of like finding your life's true calling through a horrible, often a horrible bodily experience. Yeah, why does um, that like, have to happen like this? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, like, but I, I think that's such a common story is that yeah. somebody finding their what they feel like is their true path through just like the most awful thing. Yeah. Well, because the most awful things in life kind of have an uncanny way of focusing you and like refocusing and like revealing what your true priorities are and like what really matters in life. And we spend and if you don't have to think very carefully and very specific about your literal every move and how you spend every ounce of energy that you have you just kind of float through life not ever really thinking about like what actually matters and what's important to you and like what you want to spend your time and your energy doing because it seems unlimited but when you have an experience like this that that like narrows your world so much and really like for me because fatigue is such a significant factor and I have to think plan out almost like I mean it depends on how I'm feeling but there are times where I have to plan every movement so that I don't expend any more energy that I absolutely have to you know and like really conserving figuring out how to how figuring out what I need to say in the least amount of words and conserving energy as much as possible because it's this incredibly finite resource for me and most people literally never have to think about that you know so when especially once you start to recover and you like you start you start to emerge from survival mode um which for me survival mode is kind of like a turtle shell I had come in and out you know (laughs) my head pops in and out as as is possible but once your head starts popping out of that turtle shell and you look around at all of the things that like used to be important to you and all of the like stupid bullshit that like you used to waste so much time and energy on it's like what the fuck you know fuck that and it really has a way of of re redirecting i mean i it would be cool if it didn't have such a catastrophic effect on people's lives and they could continue to go on living their bullshit existences. I mean, how nice would that be? Well, but it would, but I also, also think lucky. the the opposite of that would be cool. It would be cool if even people if didn't who didn't have, yeah, if people who didn't yeah. like, even without horrible things happening to them could live life that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and some people, never get there I know which is so sad to me you know and it like it doesn't have to be like a, a major you know paradigm shift for people but I think if people were a little bit more thoughtful about it 
you know, because also people float through their lives as if nothing bad could ever happen. And then it does. And it's like, what the fuck? But like, if we were more understanding of, of like the fact that like illness and disability does happen and is extremely common and might even probably will happen to you, you know, and to like, just to, and if, because if we had a better understanding of that, our world would be so much more accessible for people when, when that does happen for them or, you know, people who have been disabled their whole lives. Like you don't, you have no idea how inaccessible the world is until suddenly it's inaccessible to you and it sucks that it has to happen that way but like you know especially having worked in the accessibility space it's like banging your head against a wall over and over again trying to explain it to people who will not get it until they get it well and I think yes definitely and like the the idea of that can go just beyond a physical disability yeah. or a chronic illness like yeah absolutely being real poor same yeah. thing you know mm-hmm. like just any anything that makes your life difficult mental illness like anything that i for the record consider mental illness uh part of chronic illness in general i don't really make i mean i know that our medical system treats them like they're too completely that physical illness and mental illness are two different things, but they're not. It's yeah. all the same, kind of. Yeah, it is. And it w- think... and things would be a lot better if we didn't divide them in that way. I think. But anyway, sorry, off my soapbox. No, 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 no. You stay in your soapbox. I. That's funny. Like I think I don't. I was trying to think of why, because I have struggled with mental illness, and mm-hmm. I. But I also struggle with the idea that, like, quote unquote, something is wrong with me. Yeah. Do you know? And so, like, well, it's actually hard for me to place myself into that, yeah. into that category. I completely understand. And I uh, I was going to tell a story about someone, but I don't have their permission to, so I'm not going to. Um, yes. And I think part of that is because of the way that our society thinks about illness and disability and mental illness and physical illness like disability is not a bad thing like the word is not bad the concept is not bad being disabled is not bad like yeah it sucks a lot of the time but it's usually because of like accessibility problems it's because the world is not built for you right it has nothing to do with you yes and it's not just the built world you know, it's the internet, it's, it's so many of our interactions that are so, like, our systems are so broken, and they don't allow for variation on the human experience, whether that is any range of physical disabilities or mental disabilities. And actually, when it comes to, like, brain stuff, um, a concept that I find really helpful as someone who deals with migraines and all sorts of like cognitive problems maybe from the migraines who knows um you know and ADHD which is maybe part of the cognitive problems 
who knows? And also like anxiety and depression and also PTSD, like all of this stuff has like my brain. I'm okay with saying my brain is broken because my brain is very broken, but uh, it's, it's part of this spectrum of neurodiversity which includes the full spectrum of human brains and includes mental illness and it also includes quote-unquote normal brains you know we're all all of our brains are just like on this like spectrum of differentness and some people find claiming that the the label of like neurodivergent a lot more effective and um empowering and also uh like for someone like me who has like a, a range of brain probs, like that's more helpful than just saying like, oh, I have migraines or oh, I have cognitive problems because that doesn't, like all I know is that my brain works differently from everyone else around me, you know, and the concept of neurodiversity allows for that. I don't know if that changes only, how you feel only about it. No, no, no. And it's all things that I've thought of before and I still just have... Because I think, I think I was raised to think about myself as if, like, what was happening to me and the way that my brain functioned would be, like, something that I would overcome. Yeah, well. Which, like, mm, that's not mm-hmm. real. It's not nope. real. This is my Except only brain. Except that people it's not love to talk about it like it they, is. Yeah. And it's it took me until, like, pretty recently to, like, stop thinking about it that way and right this is just a part of who you are and and there's nothing wrong with it either nope you're perfect exactly the way that you are (laughs) yeah I mean and I I don't mean that flippantly I mean that very sincerely um this is I mean the the concept of overcoming is something that we talk about all the time in disability conversations because when it comes to popular narratives about disability, there are so few. It's like either you're an inspiration to everyone because you're overcoming your disability or you're this tragic horror story because you're not. And it's like, what about those of us who are going to be sick for the rest of our lives? Like, am I, am I only a failure? Am I only a success? Like, actually there is over the course of a day sometimes that like I can overcome something and then other times life is a horrific shit show and it's a tragedy you know and like so neither of those narratives work for me in my life or for anyone really um and you don't accomplish things despite your disability. In a lot of cases, you're accomplishing things because of your disability. The, the skill set that people have to develop have to develop while being a disabled person in an accessible world is so valuable and like is so helpful to me in a variety of settings. And like when I accomplish something or I succeed in something, it's not in spite of the fact that I also have a million things wrong with me. It's probably because of the fact that I have a million things wrong with me that I was doing this in the first place, that I had the tenacity to get through it, and that I had the, like, you know, self-advocacy skills to get me there. So that's not at all in spite of anything. 
No, I like that framework a lot. And like... And other... I, I will say other people have articulated this way better than I have. There's an entire universe out there on disability studies and disability justice and disability rights that like are, you know, I'm, I'm not inventing the wheel here is all I'm trying to say. No, but like I think probably for most people listening, you are... Probably the first point of contact with it, yeah. I mean, you were certainly mine. Um, it's because it just doesn't, it doesn't show up unless it's in your life because a person is in your life. Like, right. you know, why would anyone even be exposed to any of this? It's just not visible. Right. And, um, sorry, I feel like I'm going to barf. Give me just one moment. I'm sorry I said the word barf. That's Okay. Also, I have to plug my computer in, so I'm sorry if this makes terrible noise. Um, I forget what I was going to say now. What were you saying? I don't know, but you, like, three minutes ago, you said um, the phrase brain probs, and, like, please tell me that's a hashtag, like, hashtag brain probs. It's a hashtag in my mind. I say it all the time. That's the best hashtag I've ever heard. (laughs) I'm I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is a hashtag, not necessarily the best one you've ever. I like it a lot. Yeah, no, and I, but I agree, like, when I think about, like, the superpowers that I've had to develop because of the way my brain works, mm-hmm. like, they're pretty incredible. And right? it's, <laughs> I can't remember if I've told this story on this podcast or not, but I had a friend, um, literally I watched her experience anxiety for the first time. Like and she had never had anxiety before? Yes. Wow. <laughs> Tell me what's that like? I don't know. But when it when it was happening to her, first of all, she had no idea what the fuck was happening. <laughs> and she was like she was like she she was like trying to describe it and she actually used a lot of really incredible I took notes on this while it was happening <laughs> because I was like, "Oh, wow." Like once I realized what was happening, I was like, "Must document. This is fascinating." <laughs> Um, which I, she did not, I told her later that I did that and that was, she was not mad about it. Um, but yeah, she was like, she's like, oh, what is it? Like, I'm so prickly on the inside and like, she was like oh, crying I hate the for, inside yeah. prickles. and she was like crying for no reason and then she was laughing for no reason and then she was like checking things over <laughs> and over and like all she wanted to do was eat, but she like would start to cook and then she would walk away and like cry more and it was just like, oh buddy, like, and and I know, like, for a long time, she's been really supportive of me um, because that's just the kind of person that she is. And, like, so many times she's told me, like, I wish I could just, like, crawl into your brain and, like, like put it back together and, like, help it and, like, fix it, you know? Um, and, but, like, like, I knew that she never had actually felt, like, anything close to what I feel, like, pretty much constantly all the time. Um, and... I like not that I wish those feelings on anybody, but I wanted to be like, see, now imagine living your entire life mm. feeling like that all the time. Like you're losing it right here the first time it's ever happening to you. Like just like, and I, it was just a fascinating experience. Yeah, that is really interesting. I sometimes wish that I like when I get mad about well, specifically when I get really frustrated with trying to communicate the fact that I'm having a hard time with someone who can't really receive it. I do wish that I had a superpower that I could be like, just for like 
30 seconds. Just, just, I could just boop their nose and they would feel like for 30 seconds what it felt like to be inside my body all the time. Um, yeah. First of all, they would melt. Second of yeah. all, they would go to the hospital. <laughs> and third of all, <laughs> they would probably leave me alone. But that's awesome. That's a really interesting experience to have. I the other so the other thing that I back to the movie a little bit. Um there's so like I too have I do have chronic pain although like certainly not because of an illness so like basically I see it as it's my own fault that I am this Aww. way. Cuz it is. Fault. I did this to myself. No, it's, like <laughs> it's because listen it's because we're all made out of garbage and our bodies are dumb. Yeah, my body is, that's what it, I, that is how I describe it to people a lot of the times. It's like my, my insides are just it's garbage, it's trash. Um, which, which of is, course is not a healthy way for thinking about our bodies, but no, honestly, but, sometimes no, and it's all know, I can muster. Do you know that I, I have also tried recently a practice of like, I'll lay down like before I go to sleep tonight and I'll out loud compliment parts of my body. Like oh, that's that, nice. th- that they are doing a good job, or that like they did a good job that day. Um, but like so, like I I see this. I I don't put my own physical pain. Like I wouldn't put it next to your physical pain. Like you, yours yours was handed to you by life. Like I did mine to me. But, but living in a human body is is just it's a crapshoot. Regardless, it really is, and and always full of surprises, isn't it? Oh, um, so many surprises! But I, but be, but because I do have this pain that I live with, pretty much all the time, in some way, shape, or form, I think about my body pretty much constantly, and like have like more and more, even like as both good and bad things happen to my body, um, I have like an internal map of the inside of my body mm-hmm. and it's like I feel like that's what you see in Frida's like you can see that that is also what she has in like yeah. such a richer way than I do um Ooh, you know what you need to see uh Pain and Glory the Pedro Almodovar movie that just came out last year you'll love it oh there's I a whole sequence about this about yeah but yeah. but when I see well when I see your artwork I see the same thing mm-hmm yeah, and it's actually it was actually really interesting. A few years ago, I went back and scanned like the archive of my old notebooks, and it was fascinating to find images in there of me mapping pain that I didn't even realize I had at that time. Like pain that I thought started years later, I found it in my notebooks from like Ooh. high school. Whoa! Isn't that wild? Yeah. It was a very bizarre experience, <laughs> but it's also like really interesting to like have amassed a body of work over the years that does not literally map my pain and illness, but does give some landscape to it almost, I guess, is the way of saying that. Um, one of my favorite paintings of hers is the two Fridas. Um, is that the one with the hearts? Yeah, and it's she painted it, I think, right after her mis her first miscarriage, um, which we only see one of in this movie, but I believe she had several. Um, and it's 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 two of her sitting there holding hands, 
Um, am I remembering this properly? Can you bring up a I'm image googling of it? it. I'm googling yeah, it. Yeah, send I'm it almost to me there. so I don't have to open a web browser and okay. make my computer mad. Um, um, but it's so powerful to me because it's it it's it's yeah the two Fridas. So one of her, I think the one on the right, she's dressed in like her traditional Mexican kind of peasant garb. I, that's probably not the correct way to put it. Um, and then uh, on the left-hand side, she's dressed in like a white, lacy, frilly thing. And on both, uh, on both of her, like there's an anatomical heart kind of beating outside of her body. And so on like the traditional Mexican side, it's a full heart. And on the um, other side, it's like an open heart that's bleeding and she has like clamp this is not actually one it might have still been after her miscarriage but kind of the bent of this is about her time in the united states and her time in mexico and how much like more whole as a person she feels in mexico than elsewhere because she's actually like bleeding in the one but she's scissors well they're not scissors they're um oh they're what are they those clampy things that they use to oh to, like, yeah 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 um stop the the bleeding oh because yeah be, well because forceps the, is that the, i don't know if that's the word mm, no it's not quite forceps but it's some it's somewhere between scissors and forceps it's yeah the little clampy thing <laughs> we're very um, technical here i went to medical um, school but so but yeah so the the one on the right the heart is like attached the heart and all of its arteries and veins there's mm-hmm. is that a vein what do you call that oh I'm bad at this um all attached and then on the left one of them is bleeding yeah it's open it's bleeding she's trying to clamp it shut yeah and i just the that image of like two of her one of whom kind of has it together and the other of whom is has beat like as a heart beating outside of her body and it's bleeding like I often struggle with kind of like making peace with my own body if that makes sense like that like there's two of me there's me and then there's a physical me um and I just find this painting very reflective of that for me personally which is not necessarily what she was painting about maybe part of it was who knows but. Can I, I want to read you my favorite quote about that. Sure. I have to find it, though. Um, while I'm looking for it, tell me what your favorite Frida Kahlo painting is. Ooh. Well, that's definitely one of them, the two Fridas. Let me just, I'm just going to Google all of them. Um... Oh, yeah, there's, so I was getting that other one crossed in my brain with this one called Ford Hospital, which is the one that she painted. That's the miscarriage one, yeah. Right. Um, and there's, uh, she's, she's like naked on a hospital bed in a pool of blood around the base of the, like the bed frame it actually says Henry Ford Hospital I don't think I'd actually ever seen that and the date that it happened 
Um, and in the background, you see the skyline of Detroit, because this happened when she was in Detroit. And coming out of her body in the bed is a fetus uh, that is connected. All of these are connected by blood vessels. A snail, for some reason. <laughs> and um, kind of a anatomical model of the lower half of a woman's body. And then below the bed, also connected by the um, blood vessels, are a pelvis. And I'm not sure what that other thing is. It looks botanical in nature, possibly. And then off towards the foot of the bed is something mechanical looking. I'm not sure what that is either. Um, but I find that one really powerful. And just the, you know, the subject of of it is also really powerful and really something that we do not see in art a lot in general. You know what I mean? Uh, largely because most famous artists are men who have never had a miscarriage, but um, let's see what else. Oh, the broken column, probably. Um, I'm looking up the broken column. I don't remember that one. It's towards oh, the Oh, I end do of the remember this one. Yeah. 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 So she's standing in I guess is that's the desert. Uh, it's a self portrait, obviously. And it's uh kind of from her I would say top of her thighs up, but the lower part of her abdomen and below is covered by a sheet. And her abdomen is broken open in the center, and instead of what you would normally see inside, um, there's a ionic column. I don't, I don't remember my Roman columns exactly, so I might be wrong about it being an ionic column. But you know, it's a, a column that would hold up a building, um, but it's broken and kind of crumbled into pieces where her spinal column otherwise would be. And um, she is also wearing It one... is an ionic column. I looked it up. Oh, all right. Thanks. Um, she's wearing one of the many medical corsets that she was fitted with over the course of her lifetime. Um, and also, she has nails coming out of her body. <laughs> And she's crying. And in her dress. The nails are kind of everywhere. Yeah. And I just, you know, as a person who lives with nonstop chronic pain, find this one incredibly powerful yeah. and resonant to me, personally. So, like, a lot of her art is was so personal to her. And I think what makes it so incredible is that it can be so relevant to so many still. You know, well, yeah, I think that's what's so, so powerful about it is like, even without, even without having lived through a fraction of the experiences that she had, it's like, I, I feel like I'm able to look at it and it's like, whoa, girl, I get it. Like, mm -hmm. whoa, thank you for sharing yourself with me. You know? Yeah, yeah. I get that feeling of gratitude, too. Like, that we're so lucky that not only did she live, 
you know, uh, her life as exactly who she was, but that she was able to share so much of it um, in her art and that um, thankfully she is remembered for it because, you know, so well, many I, women artists are not. I like, I also think that while she was very directly showing us her physical pain in mm-hmm. her work, like, so I think a lot of it can also be read by other women I assume like in a metaphorical way where like oh, sure. even if you're not looking at this as physical pain like you can look at this and recognize something of yourself and your experience in yeah. it yeah I think that's so true I wrote down a bunch of quotes in the movie it was basically like all I wrote down were quotes um because so many of them made me either laugh out loud or burst into tears um, like, uh, after she's in the accident and her boyfriend comes by and he asks her, how do you feel? And she says, like, I've been hit by a bus. Like, yeah. just totally deadpans it. <laughs> like, this cap- captures such a, a wonderful, like, sense of humor. Um, like, dark, dark humor that I really appreciate. Um, I she, thought... She's, also the say? no, I just was gonna say that also the the relationship between her and Diego's ex wife was also super, not something you ever see on no, TV. No, yeah, exactly. Like super interesting and also funny sometimes. Like they were yeah, she was funny. <laughs> yeah. Um. All my suitors have become doctors. Which who boy girl, I feel you. Oh man, I've had that feeling. Um. Then she has that conversation with her father. I think she's talking to her father. He asks her what her plans are. Because she said, you used to ask me what my plans are. Now you never ask. So he says, what are your plans? And she says, right now I'm a burden, but I hope to be a self-sufficient cripple one day. After that, I don't know. (laughs) Um, And that made me laugh really hard because the feeling of being a burden is um, something that is very common to a lot of disabled and ill people uh, because society tells us that we are a burden all the time and it's hard not to feel that way um, when you can't do a lot of stuff for yourself yeah yeah um, oh and we actually that diary that I mentioned we actually like see it a little bit towards the end of the movie like we see her like working in a notebook and I recognize some of the pages. And and one of my favorite pages um, that I come back to over and over again is a something that she did, I guess, right around when she had her foot amputated. Um, and it's a drawing of two feet. It kind of looks like the lower half of, like, a Jesus on the cross a little bit. But, like, the feet aren't connected to the body. But they're, like, overlapped and I think have a pin going through them. Um, and in, in the movie, it's in English, but in the actual diary, it's in Spanish. And it says, feet, what do I need you for when I have wings to fly? And I say that to my feet all the time. No. <laughs> um, but I think that this movie is is powerful, not just because of, like, the characters and the person, but 
you know, it's based on not just because of her like strength and resilience, but also just because like how rarely do we see a disabled woman's but like a disabled woman of color no less on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously Selma Hayek does not is not actually disabled herself and it would have been great if they had actually gotten a actually disabled actress to play her, but whatever. Um it's so rare that we see any images representing that on screen and to see uh, someone so vibrant who who matters to history, um, who matters to art. Not that like, you know, other people don't matter, but I, it's hard to, I my brain is getting into brain soup territory, so I'm having a hard time articulating myself, but um, you know, like representation really does matter. And um, there are so few examples of disabled people on screen. And when we do get them, it's so often in those tropes that I was talking about before of either like inspiration or tragedy. And her life was was very tragic, but also, um, I mean, what a badass, you know? For real. What a cool lady who I really would have liked to hang out with. Um, and maybe kiss, but, uh, <laughs> um, I spent this past, uh, weekend at a retreat with other chronically ill and disabled people, um, with an organization called Suffering the Silence, uh, which is leveraging the, the, the power of the arts and storytelling to change perceptions about people, what it's like to live with chronic illness and disability and, um, etc etc and um when i first started my old podcast in sickness and in health which was about chronic illness and disability i this was five years ago i emailed their co-founder i spelled her name wrong and was like oh no i've ruined everything um and she didn't even notice and invited me over to her house and we sat on her couch and she's an actress and we sat on her couch and we talked about representation of disability and illness on film and TV and like what what her prospects look like as a disabled actress etc um, and this weekend well earlier than this weekend they published a docu-series that she produced called Trust Me I'm Sick that follows I think five uh, people living with different illnesses um, and just they just talk about their lives and what it's like to live with it and what is and how normal it is. Um, and so we, I had I had watched it by myself at home a few weeks ago when it premiered, and then we got the opportunity to watch it as a group um, at the retreat, and it was so moving, <laughs> not just to see these people living their lives and talking about it, um, but also to know that like. Erica and I had this conversation five years ago and like not just have things changed but like she's changing them you know like she's doing the work and making it happen and so is suffering the silence and like we have such an incredible community of, of creative people so many of whom are driven by their by their illness and disability so many of whom were inspired to take up creative suit pursuits because of how fucking boring it is like I was talking about before 
Oh, it's just, it's really cool to, to be a part of that community. Um, and it was a real trip to come home and watch this movie. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I had to, I had to take a break and take a nap in the middle of it. Cause it was like emotionally a lot, but, um, yeah. So thank you for indulging me. And yeah. No, I'm really glad to have done that. Um, you're going to have to land the bus. Oh, Okay. Um, well, you don't want anyone to find you on the internet. So. No, but we did We did talk about that project that I did, which yeah. you can find on Instagram. We uh, say the, the hashtag one more time. The hashtag is bimpskip. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <sighs> try okay, again, so, try again. Yeah, the handle is at bimps.art. There's a link to it right in the bio. Hashtag bimpsgetsweird. And that is that migraine tracking project that I did. But also my ongoing project is hashtag Bimps shadow portrait because after several years of being stuck inside for so long, I went to California actually on a related chronic illness trip um, to Stanford doing a thing, doing a podcast thing. It was very cool. We'll talk about it some other time. Didn't but we I talk like- about it in the in our 10-year review? Did oh, we? we might have. Yes, we did. Go back and listen to that and hear me explain what that was. But anyway, I like saw my shadow for the first time in like three years and was so taken aback by it. Like it, it was so shocking to me to like actually see my shadow. And so I've been just taking pictures of my shadow ever since because it's like evidence that I'm like outside in the world. And like that one project was very inward facing and this one's a little more outward facing so you I find got all guest that star in one of them oh yeah you did get to guest star i feel like you've been in more than one maybe there was like two okay well you can find it all on a little app called instagram otherwise leave me alone <laughs> <laughs> um well i'm on instagram at jordopc although strongly thinking about taking an instagram break because it's truly breaking my brain and I'm over it uh, but I'm still there for now and we well do you have anything else to add Kara? I don't, not at this time. Okay uh, we'll be back in March right? Will this get us to March? I think so, yeah, February is a short Gosh, month. Gosh, I hope so because we didn't plan for another one so <laughs> uh, and we don't know what we're doing yet so meet us there, we'll surprise you and uh talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.